You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. Praise the Lord, huh? Praise the Lord. It is good to be with you. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm 113. Psalm 113. We are in a series right now called Songs of Summer. How many of you guys have that playlist for the summer? Come on, right? Summer 22, maybe some emojis in there, right? I see you. I, uh, the, 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 the Psalms are the playlist of God's people. And they have been for centuries. These are songs. These are poems, wisdom literature, we call it, where God's people have been bumping to these truths for a long, long time. And so we thought it would be fitting for the summer to be in the, play, the playlist of God's people. And so other alternate titles for this series were Hebraic Hits. That got turned down. I'm not sure why. Okay. Um, scriptural Slaps. And Bops from the Bible. But I'm not the creative pastor. That's Daniel. And so Daniel vetoed all of my amazing ideas. And uh, we are here in the songs of summer. And so as you turn to Psalm 113, I want to tell you a story. There once was a college student who called home to mom. Mom was more than happy to see this rare phone call from her son. And so she picked it up. As she picked it up, she was instantly greeted with these words. Mom, don't freak out. Her heart sank. Before she could form a response, her son just jumped in. Mom, I was drunk driving. I totaled my car. I have multiple broken bones. I'm in jail right now, and this is my one phone call. Mom was in shock. Her tongue didn't work. She immediately felt dizzy by a wave of emotions that ranged all over the spectrum. As she stammered on the other end of the phone, searching for words, her son said, Mom... None of that is true. However, I did get a D on my Spanish final, and I need you to put laundry into my account. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) Mom was feeling dozens of emotions in that moment. One of them was wrath. The other one was probably relief. You see, our college student, he was trying to leverage the power of perspective. You see, he knew that he couldn't change the bad news that he had to deliver to Mom. But he did know that he could affect her point of view. He could, get, he could change her perspective and therefore he could change her response. How many of you know this morning that perspective is a powerful thing? Right? The ability to see things in proportion to one another. The ability to see things according to their relative importance. It can make the difference between relief and anger. It can mean the difference between joy and despair and heartbreak, between peace and anxiety, between hope and hopelessness. It can make the difference between despair and praise. And so this morning, we're gathered here, friends, and look around the world. Our world is facing war, economic recession, political unrest, social division, Forget the world. What about my world? Our individual worlds are filled with issues at work and family drama. Big decisions are looming. Uncertainty abounds. Financial anxiety is there. 
And so this morning we turn to the scriptures. This is where we live, huh? We turn to the scriptures and the Lord wants to offer us perspective. We come to the Bible and the psalmist this morning, he's going to raise his voice. He is calling out to those who can hear him. He's calling out to those who are bumping this track on their caravan in Jerusalem. And he says, all of you can hear my voice. I want you to look up. Look up. And friends, as we look up this morning, we're going to get some perspective. Anybody ready for perspective this morning? Are we ready to press play on this track? Here we go, fellow DJs. Psalm 113, this is God's word for East Point Church. It begins like this. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is God's word for us this morning. And so here at East Point, we like to pick a passage of scripture. We go back to the beginning and we're just going to work through it. So let's look at the first three verses again together and listen to how repetitive it is. Check it out. He says, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. We hear the repetition. We hear him repeating himself, and the call is clear. Friends, this morning, this is a call to praise the Lord continually. Praise the Lord continually. He's raising his voice. He's calling out to all of those who are gathered. He says, I want your attention, all of you who serve God, all of you who bow the knee to the creator. May I have your attention, please? And we listen, and he gives this call to action. This is the response he's calling for. He says, I want you to praise. Three times we get this call, the command, the imperative, Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Somebody in this room, praise, he's saying. And so to praise, it means to exclaim one's greatness as an act of worship, to boast. And so when I hear these words, exclaim, boast, these are what I call out loud verbs, okay? To praise, it's more than just like a simple acknowledgement. It's more than a nod of the chin to go, noted. No, exclaiming, it means use your voice. Boasting, it's saying out loud, audibly, I want you to draw attention to something that is great. And so three times he says, praise. Come on, praise. Use your voice. Raise your voice. Praise. Exclaim and boast. But this is not just praise for praise sake. This is not just like a a generic, cathartic experience. This is not a call to just practice some positivity and, and it feels good to just say things out loud. No, no, no. 
there is a specific object of our praise. He says, I want you to praise, but what are you praising? He says, praise the Lord. Exclaim and boast about someone specifically. Praise the Lord. He says it another way. He goes, exclaim and boast about the name of the Lord, meaning focus your attention on the one who all of his essence, all of his attributes are captured by his name, Yahweh. That's literally hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. One word. Praise the Lord. Make who he is in his entirety. Make his whole person. The the object of your praise is him. Focus on it. Acknowledge it. Exclaim it out loud. Why? I want you to imagine that you go to the Grand Canyon, right? And you're just sitting there at the Grand Canyon. And there's a guy and he pulls up in his Jeep, you know. And you see the dust cloud, you know, driving toward where you're at. And he gets out of his car and he's on the phone. He's like, yeah, Ken. Yeah, sell the stocks. I'm telling you, sell the stocks. And he looks out and he steps to the lip of the canyon. He goes, hmm. Gets back in his car. I said sell, Ken, sell. And he drives away. There is something wrong about that. Is that not? Like, like you're like, well, teach your own. You're like, no. Somebody should go pull him over. Because we realize intrinsically that when you come to the lip of the canyon, that the, the, the grandeur, it demands attention. The panorama of this beautiful scene, it, it arrests your focus. And it, you can't help it. It just it demands and it draws forth, at minimum, it draws forth a, wow, to just noted and walk away. It is wrong. It demands greater respect. It demands greater glory and positive attention. You see, friends, our psalmist this morning, he is calling us to acknowledge something even greater than the Grand Canyon. He's calling us not to look at the panorama in Arizona. He's calling us to see the panorama of his collective attributes, to see the grandeur and the beauty of God. And when we see it, it arrests our attention and it demands out loud praise where we go, wow, praise the Lord. It causes us to to boast where we go, look, who is like our God? It would be wrong for us to just come up to God and go, noted. It would be so wrong, as a matter of fact, that in the Bible, one of the, another song in the Psalms, it says, if human beings stopped exclaiming out loud how great he is, the rocks would be so uncomfortable that they would, ah, they would shout out. It demands recognition. It demands praise. And so like we sang, if creation itself could sing, it would. Because what else do you do when you step up to the lip of God's glory and you go, wow. We are to be praising him. Praise the Lord. Friends, declare his greatness out loud. People, raise your voice and boast And notice, he's telling them to praise the Lord, and then he himself gets swept up into it. He he can't even help but do the very thing that he's commanding, and so he busts out, blessed be the name of the Lord. I can't just tell you, I have to participate. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When should we praise the Lord? How often should we be out loud 
with our words exclaiming his greatness. Well, you know, when Daniel's on the stage doing his thing, strumming those chords, right? Once a week on Sunday. No, the psalmist makes it very clear. He says, praise the Lord. How often? From this time forth and forevermore. There will never be a season of life. There will never be a season of human history where God's greatness does not warrant praise. Where are our children at? There will never be a generation from this time forth and forever. There will never be a generation or a demographic where God's glory does not demand praise. So we are to praise him always from this time forth and from always but not just always, look what else he says, from the rising of the sun to its setting. And so not only always, but all day. He's to be praised all day. We recognize and we acknowledge his greatness from the start of the day to the end because even though the sun rises and sets, even though the moon waxes and wanes, his greatness never does. He is always good. He is always beautiful. He is always glorious. His glory always, all day, demands praise. And so we praise him continually. Now I get it. There's a lot of uh, exclamation points here, right? Praise the Lord! It's like your friend who texts you with always an exclamation point. Come on, how many of you have that friend? Right? And like you read out his text and you're like, how are you? And you're like, I'm good. You just can't help. You know, it's like, I'm like, I'm a little bit more judicious with my punctuation. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, let's not spread it on too thick here. And so we read the exclamation points. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. And, and sometimes we read the Psalms and we go, come on. I, I'm not always on level 10 of enthusiasm. I don't always feel happy. I don't always feel like using exclamation points. But this Psalm the psalm is not about pretending and putting on a smile. This psalm is not about always being happy. Here's the key, friends. The psalmist is not saying always be happy. He's saying always be praising. He's not saying always feel it. He's saying always do it. Because our praise is not contingent on what our feelings are in the moment. Our praise is contingent on who he is. And that never changes. And therefore our praise should not change. We don't praise him because we're feeling it. We praise him out loud with our words because his greatness deserves it. And so however you're feeling, friend, East Point Church, praise the Lord. When your cheeks are wet with tears, praise the Lord. When your retirement portfolio is doing what it's doing right now, praise the Lord. Proclaim his goodness out loud. Even when your pain is beyond words and uncertainty abound, he's still good and he's still glorious. Even when you're exhausted, even when you're stressed, even when you're worn out, even when you're at odds with your spouse, Praise him consistently and see what happens as you lead your soul to perspective. As you lead your soul to regularly praise him and to acknowledge his greatness. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so the psalmist is here. He's, he's calling us 
to praise God because he's good. In the last few verses here, he's going to bring that goodness, he's going to bring that greatness into greater clarity, and we're going to see two specific attributes, two specific traits of that goodness. And friends, I'm telling you, as you look up, as you gaze at his goodness, as you see these twin attributes, you are going to be stepping to the edge of his glory, and by the end of this sermon, you're going to be going, Are you ready to see it? Look how he draws us in here. Look at the God that he wants us to see as we look up. Look at verse four. He says, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. Friends, we look up and what's the first thing we see? We see that the Lord sits high above it all. The Lord is high above it all. We get this picture where God is literally, he is spatially above it all. It says it here. Look where his seat is. He's seated on high. How many of you know that his seat and his vantage point is very different than yours? It's like the first time I went to an NBA game in Boston, right? And I got to go to the garden. I'm like, I'm going to a basketball game. I paid $8.50 for a ticket. And I get in there and it felt like I was hiking Mount Everest. And I'm like, and I'm sitting down, and for like seven and a half seconds, I was like, I'm at a basketball game. And then for the rest of the game, I couldn't help but notice my seat is so different than those people down there. Because your boy was seated on high. (laughs) (laughs) Friends, God's seat is so different than yours. His seat is so much higher. His vantage point is so much greater. How high is he? Well, when I go outside, the highest thing that I can see is the heavens, right? And sometimes I might even bust out my telescope and I can see the the telestial, you know, celestial. No, no, no. When they say he's high above it, they're saying he's even higher than the heavens. The highest thing that you guys can imagine as humans, he's even higher than that. Have you ever watched Planet Earth? Come on, any Discovery Channel fans in here, right? Every time I watch that thing, first of all, it's amazing. Notice how they never let Americans narrate those things, right? They're like, yo, here's the planet, there's Earth. They're like, no, he is in the, the, the Serengeti and the animals. And, and it starts on like a blade of grass. And you're like, I love grass. I can listen to this all day. And then it's like, it zooms out to the plains. And then you see cheetahs whip by. And before you know it, it's like, and it zooms out. And you're just like, wow. I am so small. This is so much bigger than me. And it zooms you out and it gives you perspective. And they start finding nebulas and and they start naming nebulas after their children. And I'm like, I want to name a nebula after my child. Like, why do you have to become an astrophysicist to get to name celestial things? You know what I'm saying? Like, shouldn't that be more of a democratic approach? Am I the only one? Never mind, I'll start a, pe- a petition. But they're doing, the, they're calling our attention to the greater things in the universe. And we go, wow, this psalm is the, is the equivalent to an ancient episode of planet Earth. They're listening to this song, they're reading these words, and it's as if they're zooming out and they're going, God is even bigger than that. His glory is above the heavens. And we realize planet Earth, the sun, 
the solar system, the universe, things that are so huge to us are actually small compared to the enormity of God. And so we realize with awe and wonder that we as humans have a limited perspective and yet the creator whose seat is on high, he sees it all. He's so high that he doesn't just look down. It says here he looks far down. God needs a telescope to see as far down as the things we need a telescope to see up to. He is that much bigger. And so if you can summarize his greatness, if you can summarize his enormity into one word, it would be this. God is transcendent. He is completely above and beyond. He is unconfined by our material existence. Friends, he sits above it all. Literally, he is above it all. But there's another phrase here that the psalmist used. He says he's, a, he's above it all, like literally. But in another sense, he is above all this. It says it here. The Lord is high above all nations. God is above this, meaning his heavenly reign is untouched by earthly developments. He's above this. He's beyond the nations. He's unaffected by it in a sense. He is above the powers that be. He is not moved by the rulers of earth. His rule and reign are not dependent on who is in office. The one who sits on the heavenly throne is not displaced in the slightest by those who sit on earthly thrones. Because friends, the kingdoms of earth are just that. They're of earth. But God is above it all. He is higher than the heavens. And so when your world is in turmoil, when the nations are in disarray, when you watch the news and wonder, does anybody know what they're doing? Let me tell you what's not happening. There are no angelic task forces being put together in heaven. Gabriel, I need you. What are we going to do? <laughs> you know? There's no heavenly think tank being assembled right now. Guys, I need options. What are we going to do down there? Friends, God is not sweating. God is not stressing in the slightest. He's in absolute control. And so here we are in our pain, right? And we can gain wonderful perspective by looking up and realizing that God is far above it all. We live in a tumultuous world, on a tumultuous earth, led by tumultuous people in tumultuous times. And yet it's tremendously comforting to look up and to see that God is unmoved. He has it under control. He is great. He is transcendent. And what is our response when we see this attribute of God? What is our response when we step up to the lip of creation and we see his glory displayed in his transcendence? We say, who is like our God? We cannot help but boast out loud. We cannot help but exclaim with our voices. Let's do it together. Ready? Who is like the Lord our God? Who is like this? Look up, friends. Look up, there he is. He is above it all. But there's more. Do you know what else we see as we look up? 
Not only do we see a God who is above it all, we see a God who looks down. Look what it says here. Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. God sits in the heavens, but he looks down on earth. This word look, this is not how you would glance across the room. Hey, look! And you guys all look, and then you look back. It's not a glance. To look is not like the way I look in the fridge, right? Where I'm like, sweetheart, I'm telling you, there's no ketchup. She's like, you have to look. I'm like, I am looking. She's like, no, you're Sam looking. And then she comes in, and it's like, boom, I have seven bottles of ketchup. And I'm like, what? No, I swore I looked. Guys, God is a better looker than me and than you. When the, when the Bible uses this word look, it's not meaning to glance. It means to perceive with attention, to direct one's gaze. I see you is what this means. God perceives you with attention. He's directing his gaze toward you. To say that God looks down is not talking about his vision. It's talking about his care. The NIV, I love the way they translate this. If you have an NIV Bible, underline this. It doesn't say looks down. It says stoops down because that's the sense. It's not that he sees us. It's that he comes near to us. And so not only is he transcendent, he is also imminent, meaning he is fully present and close to his creation. And so as we look up, we see a God who's transcendent. And in our final three verses, we're going to see the God who is also imminent. Look at the last few verses, verse seven. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Friends, the psalmist, he's writing this song and he's calling us, praise the Lord continually. Why? Because when you look look up, you will see the Lord sits high above it all and you will also see the Lord comes near to care for his people. The Lord comes near to care for his people. We have some real-life situations here that anybody in Israel would be familiar with. The psalmist in this song, he paints a picture of some people here. We see some people. The first person we see is a poor man. He is sitting in a lowly position because he's poor. He's sitting in the dust, not on a couch, not on a chair. He is sitting as low as you can be sitting on the floor in the dust. That's how poor he is. That hurts. We see another person here who is in need. This is not just like a needy day. Like this is a a season of life. They are so in need that look what they're sitting in. There's an ash heap. You see, in this day, ashes were a sign of mourning. So they would cover their clothes in ashes. They would cover their heads in ashes. This person is in such mourning. Look around them. The ash has formed heaps. Heaps of ashes. Deep mourning, deep need. We see a third person. We see the barren woman. Not only is there the emotional pain of I can't have children, but in this culture, there's the shame that is added on top of that. You haven't brought an heir to your family. You haven't given your husband children. Just these are people in pain. And perhaps you've experienced the pain of one of these situations. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. 
But even if you've never found yourself in these specific situations of poverty and grief and mourning and neediness and barrenness, even if you haven't been there, we get it, don't we? We know what it's like to be in need. We know enough of pain. We know we are familiar enough with despair for the psalmist to make his point. And here's his point. He says, do you see these guys? Do you know what it's like to be that kind of person? Well, here's my point. The God that we serve, the God that I'm calling you to look up to, he's the kind of God that raises the poor from the dust. He's the kind of God that he's reversing his fortunes and he is raising him up from the dust. Look up. You see this God? This is the kind of God who comes to the needy person and lifts them from the ash heap. And they go from sitting in poverty and in mourning and he elevates their status and they are sitting, not just on a couch, they're sitting among princes. He's reversed their fortunes. He says, look up. The God that I'm calling you to praise, he's the kind of God who comes near. He sees the barren woman. He sees her pain. And what does he do? He makes her the joyous mother of children. He sees you even when no one else sees you. He comes near to you. He knows your pain even when you haven't told anyone. Isn't it beautiful? This is your God. And we step up to the lip, right? And again, it's not about the specifics. It's not about poverty. It's not about barrenness. Follow the imagery here. This is about a God who comes near to those who need him. These specific acts of blessing, these specific acts of redemption, these are pictures of the kind of God that we serve. And so just as they discovered in their pain, so you too, friend, can discover in your pain that our God is a God who comes near to his people. And when you see that goodness, when you see that trait of God, what else is your response but to go hands up, out loud, exclaim and boast, praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. We have these two aspects of God's greatness, right? He is above it all, and yet he comes near. He is higher than the heavens, and yet he sees us, and he stoops down to care for us. What are we supposed to do with that? See, I can handle, right, like, like as a human being, I can understand a God who is so high above us, but he doesn't actually know us. Okay, he's a supreme power. On the other hand, maybe you go, well, I can understand, like, my friends. My friends are God, and relationships are everything, because they're the people who are in it with me. But those people can't actually do anything. Those people are not spinning the globe on their finger. Here we have the, the, the combination of a God who is so far above it all, who holds the universe together by his sheer will. And yet, that great God knows your name, and he knows how many hairs you have on your head. And he catches in his palm the tears that you shed on your pillow at night that no one else sees. Praise God. I can understand what inspired the, the psalmist to write another song, Psalm 8. Psalm 8, he's just like, man, what do I do with these twin attributes? And so he pens Psalm 8. And he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. 
What am I supposed to do with this awesome reality that the greatest being in the universe still knows me and loves me and is near to me? You see, friends, the poor man knew something. The barren woman knew something. The author of Psalm 8 and the author of Psalm 113, they knew something as well. And I want you to know it this morning too. And this is what I want you to know. That when we look up, we see a God who looks down. When we look up, we see the one who looks down. God is not a watchmaker God who created the universe, he wound it up, and then he walked away and he said, good luck. God is not a watchmaker God who created the system and then he leaves it and he's aloof and he's distant and he says, don't screw it up. This is not the God of scripture. This is not the way that God chooses to portray and reveal himself. We see a God who is looking down on us, who is with us. And we've seen it this morning. We've seen it in these great demonstrations of care and redemption. We see it in the examples where God looks down and comes near. But friends, church, we have a better example, don't we? We have an even greater testimony than the barren woman, the poor man, and the needy man combined. Just as the Lord stooped down to reverse their fortunes, so too God in heaven has stooped down to pick you up and to give you new life. Our God, who sits above the heavens, literally came to earth in flesh so that people like you and me, who were far from God, who were forsaken from his family, so that we could come into the family and be sons and daughters, Placed not in the ash heap, but at the table of the king. Friends, this is our story. This is our song. Not only did he set his gaze on us, he sent his son to us. And his name is Jesus. Look up. And when you look up, friends, you will see Jesus from Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look up, friends, and you'll see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Friends, look up and you will see the Son of God who came down and died in your place so that you could be a part of his family. Look up and you'll see the one who's looking down at you. And as we see these attributes of God, his transcendence, his imminence, his grandeur, and his care, his loftiness, and his lowliness perfectly embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. You and I will not be, be able to help ourselves except for coming to the edge. And with both arms, voices raised say, wow, who is like our God? Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We love you with our lives, with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. 
We don't just love our idea of you. We don't love the caricature that culture has created of you. We love you, the God that you have revealed yourself to be in the scriptures. Thank you for showing us who you are because it demands a wow. It arrests our attention. It draws our gaze. It inspires our imagination. It deepens our affections. And we say, God, we love you. We praise you. Who is like our God? What other religion can boast of a God who keeps creation spinning? What other religion can boast of a God who speaks galaxies into existence? What other people group can boast of a God who is so high above and yet has come near? What other people group can boast of a God who self-sacrificially laid down his life to save his creatures, his creation? Blessed be the name of the Lord who is like our God. Father, I confess that my, the palate of my soul is so often desensitized. God, I don't give you the praise that you deserve. I distract my mind. I capture my imagination with other things of this world. But would you renew my mind? Would you help us to see your glory? Would you remove the obstacles in our eyes that keep us from beholding your glory so that we can give you the praise that you deserve? Forgive us for weak praise. Forgive us for uninspiring affections. Forgive us for stepping to the lip of your glory on the phone with a nod. Lead us to praise you more all day, always until the day that you come back and we will sing forever and evermore. Praise the Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you for being God. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.